Hi. Hi. I'm Jesse Ennis. I'm Brie Larson. And we are Learning, Learning Lots. Lots. Yes. And then like a theme song yeah, plays. Follow like, along. We're learning lots. We're learning lots. We're going to learn lots. We're going to learn lots. Learning lots. Learning lots. Brie and Jesse are learning lots. But learn so much their heads will grow. There won't be anything they don't know. They'll make Einstein look like a stupid schmoe. And you can learn lots too with Brie and Jesse. Oh, that was good. I did some musical theater in high school. Oh, wow. Welcome to our very first episode of our podcast. Correct. Uh, Jesse and I are here to learn. We are. We're, we're friends of over a decade now, and I feel like we've grown together in so many ways. And the next thing we want to welcome into our lives is an opportunity to use our resources to learn more. Exactly. We happen to have a lot of friends, so not to brag. <laughs> we thought that maybe we'd bring them on the pod along with some new faces and experts to uh, have thoughtful conversations with us about topics that we are interested in and eventually what you are interested in. <laughs> yeah, we really want to open this up to the audience and have you guys help direct the ultimate trajectory of the podcast. We want you to help us come up with topics and questions that we should explore. Exactly. So uh, with each episode, we will be covering a specific topic and we will be trying our best to stay on topic. <laughs> <laughs> this week's episode is on comfort and the comfort zone. Yeah. So uh, a little bit about the two of us and why us? Why the two of us here? Brie and I have been friends for over a decade now. We met in 2010 at the Williamstown Theater Festival in Massachusetts We've lived together, we've traveled together, we've grown as people together. We made a short film together uh, that we co-wrote and co-directed, and we've made pizza together. Mm -hmm. uh, this is all to say that we have totally have credentials to, to do this. The receipts are there, it checks out, and uh, we're here today uh, and for hopefully many more days to have interesting conversations that will perhaps expand our minds expand our hearts and uh laugh a little along the way yeah that enlighten like a, me yeah sound like a log line or what <laughs> so here we are comfort zone and i feel like i had so much fun diving into the research aspect of this exploring the fact that like for me this is outside of my comfort zone the mm. idea of hosting a podcast and being someone who's driving the conversation was thrilling and exciting and also a big leap outside of being in my house for an entire year yeah that's true it is like we're coming out off of we're coming into this space um live from my garage the corner of my garage um to have these conversations when we've been we've been isolated and i will just reiterate we've been tested we are negative so there isn't fear in that regard but um the mere act yeah of trying something new for myself, um, I had the realization, oh gosh, like a week ago that I, I found that I really identify with being the person who does the hard thing. Like I, I like pushing myself. So whether that's, you know, the physical aspect, training really hard and transforming my body for Captain Marvel, climbing the Tetons, or if it's mental stuff, like really getting into questioning my thoughts and trying to understand the inner workings of my emotional landscape. Mm -hmm. um, I like doing the hard thing, confronting. And um, I realize that right now, the thing that that's actually become easy 
that's become comfortable. And in fact, the thing that's uncomfortable for me is like resting, is um, learning how to take care of myself. And uh, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dealing with a very opposite um, perspective, which is that I struggle sometimes with agoraphobia. And so for me, being outside of my house can be really scary. I think I created a comfort zone in my house. And so even there are situations where going to work can be really scary. But for me, my passion is the thing that forces me to break out of that comfort zone. And my passion is storytelling. And I feel like this podcast is a great example of a way for me to get to tell people's stories, to tell our stories. So I haven't left my house in weeks, but this morning was the first time I got in my car and I started the car and I drove all the way here listening to Casey Musgraves and pumping myself up and knowing that once I got here, I got to be with my sister, my best friend. And you make me feel very comfortable. Mm, you make me feel comfortable too. And for those that are listening and not watching, we are in very comfortable clothes. <laughs> we <laughs> we are. are under very soft blankets. Yes. We have created a nest-like situation for ourselves as we dip our toes into something that makes us mildly uncomfortable. Yes. Before we get into like bringing in our, our first guest, who I'm so excited to, to talk to, one other piece that I want to keep in our heads as we're moving forward with this conversation is like, what's good discomfort and what's bad discomfort? The idea of good and bad, I'm just going to forgive myself for using those words and instead say, we, when I think of discomfort, one aspect is it's a sign to change. It's a sign to go, this person, this situation makes me feel discomfort. Therefore, I should take care of myself by removing mm -hmm. myself from it. But um, we have two guests that have one more in the verbal space and one in the physical space who have found a way to find positivity in the discomfort by putting themselves perhaps in uncomfortable situations that are really vulnerable that then bring about really positive outcome or sort of life affirming, I think. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your most comfortable place? Oh, the hot tub. Mm -hmm. I've used in particular heat as being this like really easy way to like snap myself into comfort because my mind can make me uncomfortable. I can get looped on thoughts or it's hard for me to let go of things that are happening with work or the heat makes it so easy for those to kind of like melt away uh, and bring me into my body. Mm -hmm. Who are the people that you feel comfort? Like when the definition, I guess, in my head of people I feel comfortable with, comfortable with is not just, oh, in this moment, I feel comfortable. It's like, oh, when I walk out the door or when I get in my car, when I leave the situation, how do I feel? Like, do I feel revitalized in mm -hmm. some way or do I feel sort of like well that that took a little bit <laughs> like icky and anxiety <laughs> yeah or just like they required something of me mm -hmm. yeah I mean for me I like to think of it as like a panel of people like I have the people who I would be willing to accept criticism from because I value their perspective and they've been with me for so long. And I feel really grateful to have that group of people. And, and what you were saying about leaving them, like I, I always feel a sense of support when I'm with those people. And I feel like I could break down and cry about something you've already heard me cry about. And it's still something you're willing to put your energy into and like, you know, hold my hand through. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Cause that's like a different kind of comfort, right? Mm -hmm. That's like 
comforting someone through it. Like mm-hmm. we're, that's, ooh, we found another avenue. <laughs> Here we go. Our first guest on our first ever podcast. Our first guest on our first ever podcast is Rupi Kaur, who wrote, illustrated, and self-published her first book of poetry at the age of 21. Hello. Hello. <laughs> her poems reveal intimate thoughts about love, loss, trauma, healing, femininity, and migration. We're delighted to have Rupi joining us today as she teaches us about the power of vulnerability. Her poetry has been translated into 42 languages and have sold over 8 million copies, a true testament to how universal these sometimes uncomfortable topics really are. Mm-hmm. Rupi, thank you so much for joining us. Rupi! Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to tell you there have been so many instances where reading your poetry has brought me such an indescribable sense of comfort and... Uh, I feel really seen when I read your poetry. So so thank you so much for publishing it and putting it out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you for reading it. It still shocks me. I put it out there and I wrote it for myself. So every time somebody shares what you just shared, I'm like, wow, that's the power of like telling your truth. I'm curious, where is the, is there a physical space or a mental space that you feel like you're consistently in when the poetry comes, like when the thought arises? It's different, it changes them. Depending on the poem, I think that sometimes, like the best place I love to be in is when the poem sort of like takes over my body and it doesn't care about where I am, what I'm doing, what time of day it is, and it drags me out of bed at 2 a.m. and it's like, you need to write this down. That's really what I love about it is that I don't feel like I write the poetry. The poetry sort of comes to me and asks me to, like, hey, get this out on paper I need to be heard I need to be read and so so much of it is just inspired by conversations with human beings and um, I find that the poetry is just a reflection of how I navigate and move through the world do you always feel comfortable with what it is that you're putting to paper or what it is you publish like by the time the book is coming out do you feel like you're you're comfortable with it I'm most comfortable when I'm writing it because I write from a place of write whatever you want, Ruby, pretend nobody's going to read this. And the thing is, you just need to write it out. And at the end, you get to decide if you want to share it or not. So that's a very, very comfortable place. And then there's like, as we get closer to the publication date, all the insecurities come. It's like a day where I think this is completely crap and nobody's going to like it and you're an idiot. And then I wake up the next day and it's like, oh my God, I think it's going to do really well. (laughs) And then it's like back and forth, back and forth. You just drive yourself insane. But I think like a month or two before publication date is when you start to regret everything. And you're just like, what have I done? The fact that with Homebody, this is my third time makes it a little bit easier. But I still remember how horrified I was the first time because I mean, Milk and Honey is my first book and I never intended to write that book. In fact, by the time that I decided to write it, it had already been written because it was just poems that I had written and then I put together because my readers were like, oh my God, I want to buy your book. And I was like, okay. I think I disassociated completely because that book was just about my experience with sexual assault from the time that I was like four years old. And like, even for me to say that right now on a podcast, I only just started to do like, this is a second interview where I've like really shared that. Although I know people who read my work 
are like, yes, we know she's talking about herself. It took so long for me to really own that. There still is a little bit of that disassociation. And I think that's probably necessary for me to continue to write as freely as I write and then be able to like put it out there. Um, a little bit of it is also really thrilling. And I think what makes it ex exciting is I love connecting with people and I love expressing and I love connecting with women. And I think that connecting with women, being a woman, it's just like, it's like such a beautiful place of healing. I wanted to ask you, I heard you in another interview talking about how you had some pressure put on you after your first book came out, you know, people were eager to know what's next and when's the next book coming out and when can we expect the second book? How important was rest for you? And when did you know you were ready to write another book? Rest has never been um, a thing in my family. It's just something that we've never done. It's always been like, how can you work at your capacity so you can escape the place that your family's at? You know, my parents, I'm an immigrant, they're immigrants. My dad came here as a refugee. And so that was a struggle in that, you know, he's had to put, both my parents have had to put their lives and their bodies on the line to do really difficult work. And so the pressure I think for immigrant children who have a story similar to mine is, you have, you can't afford to rest. You have to work like three times as hard as everybody else. And you have to do everything you can to escape the life that we have, which is like factory work um, and hard labor jobs. Writing from publishing was never even in my horizons. And so when Milk and Honey started to do really well, I was horrified because I was like, well, I just bought my LSAT prep books. I don't know what you want me to do about it. Uh. I've always been the type to seize the moment. So I like charged into the next thing and it was really unhealthy. And I didn't really have the, uh, I think knowledge and like the mentorship to learn how to navigate all that in a very healthy way. So there was lots of downward spirals, like serious bouts of depression and anxiety. But I think now I'm finally in a place where I feel like I'm in control. Do you feel like your work is affected by that pressure we're talking about? Like, like, for instance, if you have a poem come to you at two in the morning, it forces you out of bed and you have to go write it right this second. What's the difference between that and sitting down because you got an email saying, we really want to publish a poem by you as soon as possible? Well, luckily that never happens because I refuse to take commissions. Great. <laughs> I don't know. I just can't force it. And I've stopped trying to, every time that somebody's come to me with a project and been like, we're working on this commercial and like, we need you to write a poem about beauty and how like makeup is not the thing that makes you beautiful, but also this is for a makeup brand. Um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, cool. I try and it fails. So I'm like, no, um, poetry is, it's so holy. It's so sacred. And um, I want to honor that and not commodify it every chance that I get. I realized that the recipe was just me sharing my raw and vulnerable truths. And that's why I have a whole chapter on mental health in the book, because that's been the story of my life for the last like four or five years. I hope that chapter three rest really kind of shows people that productivity is actually playing as well. Productivity is balance. It's not just work. Yes. I mean, that's been one of my biggest lessons during this quarantine. 
has been reframing and Jesse and I had a, a non-podcast real life conversation about this the other day where I had to reframe what even work looks like it hit me where I was like, oh, watching bad TV can also be my job. For me, I started calling it like in defense of the small moment because I used to feel like those small moments were just a thing I was doing to get to the next thing. And right now I've been using in particular washing the dishes because I can count on them. They will always be there (laughs) to be a moment to check in with myself. This is my life. And what can I get from this, this moment too? that's exactly what I've been doing I think for so long I would put hanging out with friends and having fun and those little small family moments I didn't do them as much much as I should have because I think I must have subconsciously thought those were things were a waste of time now I realize no those are central to my work because if I don't do those things if I don't live there's no poetry so what does comfort and rest look like for you rest is laughing with friends and just having a good time and just spending time with uh, family Um, and comfort. I don't, to be completely honest, I don't know what comfort means to me because I've never really thought about it. I, I just like opened, (laughs) I opened the book. I mean, I've just opened it any page and it's just like exactly right. This is from page 121. Uh, It says, not everything you do has to be self-improving. You are not a machine. You are a person. Without rest, your work can never be full. Without play, your mind can never be nourished. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) These words really speak to me and help me in a lot of ways that uh, I don't know I'll ever be, I don't know if I'll ever be able to truly thank you for, but um, I heard you say something about how you want the experience to be like reading one long poem and then processing it afterwards. And I've definitely had that experience. There's one poem on page 69 uh, that, say, that says, nothing can replace how the women in my life make me feel. And um, I was battling leaving my house a little bit this week. I was feeling a lot of anxiety about being outside of my comfort zone. And I read that poem and I thought, oh yeah, every time I'm with my best friend, I feel so great. And I was so excited. I, could, I just kept realizing, oh no, you're not driving to something scary. You're driving to your favorite place and you get to talk to your favorite poet. And Aww. it's really exciting and thrilling. I, w- I was wondering, is there a poem um, in your new book that you would like to share with us? Yes. Also, you're making me emotional. I miss my friends. I'm legit about to cry. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, let me read. You know what? I'm going to just read one about friendship because why not? So this poem is called Friendship Nostalgia and it's on page 109. I miss the days my friends knew every mundane detail about my life and I knew every ordinary detail about theirs. Adulthood has starved me of that consistency, that us, the walks around the block, the long conversations when we were too lost in the moment to care what time it was, when we won and celebrated, when we failed and celebrated harder, when we were just kids. And now we have our very important jobs that fill up our very busy schedules 
we have to compare calendars just to plan coffee dates that one of us eventually cancels because adulthood is being too exhausted to leave our apartments most days. I miss knowing I once belonged to a group of people bigger than myself. It was that belonging that made life easier to live. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was doing breathing exercises <laughs> to keep from just- I wasn't prepared to be emotional. <laughs> that was intense. I so appreciate that you exist and that you have found this place in yourself. Um, it's another aspect of, of discomfort, the discomfort that has like a, a fire in it. It's like the discomfort in if, if I don't say this, I can't live. And I feel it in every letter of your books and I feel it in talking with you. And that's why so many people connect because you are speaking truth um, to something that is so, so deep in all of us. And um, I feel, I feel really, really lucky to know you. So thank you very much. Thank you. You're amazing. <laughs> oh, you're incredible. Thank you so thank much. You. Um, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Wow. She's so special. I can't believe we get to do this. Whoa. Okay. So one, one little takeaway while it's, while it's fresh for me is I loved hearing about the, the stages of discomfort in it and feeling comfortable up until, you know, maybe right before the book comes out of going, oh gosh, yeah. oh no, oh no. Well, you relate to that so much. Of course. I'll never forget you asking me to come and watch Room with you for the first time you were going to see it. And, um, you know, I have a very proud sisterly uh, love for you. And I was watching this movie thinking, God, she's going to win every award. This performance is incredible. And when the movie was over, you looked at me and you're like, is it any good? <laughs> you were so nervous. You're like, is it good? And I was like, you're going to win everything. And your team was like, don't say that. Don't jinx anything. Don't get her hopes up. And I was like, I don't give a, I don't give a hoot. <laughs> I don't give a hoot. <laughs> It's so interesting to hear her say she doesn't actually know what comfort is for her. Mm. I really, I really valued hearing that from her because her poems bring me so much comfort. All right, folks, <laughs> here we go. Buckle up. Jimmy Chin is a professional mountain sports athlete, Nat Geo photographer, and Academy Award winner for the film Free Solo, which he co-directed with his wife Chai. This dude is a true legend in the art of discomfort. He climbed Everest just to <laughs> ski down it. He did. Created first ascents on all seven continents. And uh, he also has survived many close encounters with death, uh, including multiple avalanche. Wow. Yes. God, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. He is my friend and also the ultimate sandbagger, uh, which we'll get into in a second. Jimmy. Hi, Jimmy. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Uh, I want to start with the concept of the sandbag. For those who don't know what it, what it is, can you break it down? Yeah. Essentially, it means when you tell someone that to go and do something and it, it's and, and you downplay it and it's it's quite a bit harder than what you explained to them. <laughs> So an analogy would be like, Brie, let's go climb the Grand Teton. 
it'll be really fun and easy. <laughs> you know, probably isn't as easy as you might have presented it in your initial presentation. So on the receiving end of the sandbag, the beauty of it is that it puts you in a situation that if you had mentally wrapped your brain around, you would have panicked and not done. And I just remember so vividly, like rah, 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 every curse word I knew came out of me. And I was like, this is impossible. And you were just like holding the line. You're like, how could you say that? You're here. It's because you believed that I could do it. You know, you don't like sand some sandbag somebody so that they can feel bad about themselves. It's so that right. they can then take this huge leap that they didn't know was possible. Well, you know, you're making a very good point because there is a certain art of sandbagging. And <laughs> I had a lot of comfort knowing that when people do that, there's gratitude for it. And there's something that that person gets out of it that is um, usually deep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm wondering, when was the most uncomfortable you've been? I've been uncomfortable a lot, but it's funny because being uncomfortable has become fairly comfortable. But I would say that one of the big moments for me was when I chose to go down this path as a as a climber and as a professional climber, photographer, filmmaker, because I had like a lot of kind of family pressure growing up to, you know, go down a certain path. And I had to make a very intentional left when everybody was expecting me to go right. That's so interesting. You've been in some actual dangerous situations, you know, but it's interesting that the thing that felt the most at risk was your sense of self. Yes. I think that's what ultimately, you know, always feels like the riskiest thing. Um, Physical risk is a different type of risk, but personal emotional risk, you know, that's or letting people that are really important to you down and, you know, those kind of things, those kind of decisions, for me anyways, are are always very deep. Do you feel like anything has shifted for you since becoming a parent when it comes to that space of um, now you're really holding those things of like your, your sense of self and, you know, what's calling to you while also at the same time being in charge of like two really awesome little humans? Yeah, I think about that a lot. And maybe this isn't exactly answering your question, but I've just been wanting to share a lot of opportunities for them to find something that they're passionate about and not pushing them or judging them about what they might choose. I was telling Jesse earlier about um, a really profound experience I had as well when we when we were climbing the Tetons. We had been climbing for many hours and I was waiting, I think, for Jason to, to come up. And you had me resting on this little like five inch ledge. And I was so happy. And, you know, we did this, this incredible climb and I had to go straight from that to the Toronto Film Festival. And uh, I remember my mind just being so open and free. And then after about 24 hours in Toronto, I was like, 
this hotel pillow is uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, whoa, how quickly did I just go from a five inch ledge was all I could ever want in the world to like having so much criticism (laughs) over like a perfectly lovely bed. (laughs) Do you still have that experience? Like when you go back home, does your mind find ways to criticize what's perfectly comfortable? Or do you feel like with enough time out doing what you're doing, you've sort of worn that down? <laughs> I so wish that I had like worn it down completely, but <laughs> it's not the case. Like I know exactly what you're saying. On expeditions, on climbs like that, everything becomes so much more simplified, right? And our lives are so complicated with so many incoming, you know, and 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 the world asks a lot of all of us out in the mountains. It's it's very simple. I wanted to ask you, I know that you survived an avalanche, which is not something I've ever said to anybody before. Um, how long did it take you after that experience to want to get back out there? Well, I've been in a couple avalanches. There's one in particular that was probably more traumatic or difficult to process. You know, I think after moments like that, if you have the opportunity to take time to, to really process it, um, it took me a few months to decide to go back in the mountains you know you're like oh I'm supposed to get back on the horse you know and I was like I don't want to get back on the horse like this is that was like so I did a lot of evaluating of like what I wanted to do and so I think having time to think through very clearly what gave meaning and purpose to my life and what experiences I was looking for in my life made me go back even though I didn't want to go back I just decided that this, that there was no way I could, I was going to live the rest of my life without doing this thing that I loved, even though basically almost killed me. One thing I'd, I would love to like clear up is <laughs> the concept of the adrenaline junkie. <laughs> like that there's this idea that in order to do the things that you do, that uh, there's like no fear. I think I asked you, I was like, because I was so scared on the mountain. I was like, do you get a, do you get scared? And you're like, yeah, I was just scared like three weeks ago. Like I was surfing and the waves were too big and I was terrified. And so I was just wondering if you could touch upon that of like demystifying this idea that the things that you do, um, you're able to do them because you're fearless. Yeah, no, that is that is a misperception. I like, I feel fear all the time, first of all. Um, and, and fear is, is an instinct that's necessary for survival. Fear can be motivating. Fear can be useful. Uh, fear is not useful when it's debilitating or paralyzing. But managing fear is actually part of the process that I do enjoy. Overcoming fear takes courage. I always tell the kids, like, you can't be brave or have courage if you don't feel fear. And so feeling fear is good. But, you know, mustering up the courage to do something that, you know, you're fearful of is what it's called to be brave, you know? I think my question is, what's the scariest thing that you've committed to? Children, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like film projects, expeditions, some of, you know, I mean, they're scary to commit to because I know what it might entail, but it's also scary. The scariest thing for me to commit to is I know that if I'm going to commit to something, 
that I'm going to bring everything that I have to the table. My own standards for myself and my own expectations for myself are hard to live up to. And when I commit, I'm committing that I'm going to live up to. And I should probably see a therapist about that, but yeah. <laughs> I have two. I can, I can totally pass one your way. But that's what I so appreciate about you. Jesse, if you don't, if do you have any questions? It's like a closing question? Yeah. Do you have a comfortable bed? Yes. Very right. comfortable bed. That was actually Bree's question. I was fast. I just needed to know that. I spent extra on a comfortable bed because Chai really wanted a comfortable bed. <laughs> but if it wasn't for Chai, I'd probably not have a comfortable bed. And I joke occasionally when I've been staying at hotels or whatever for too long and being pampered too long that I need to go out and sleep on a pile of rocks just to kind of toughen back up a bit. <laughs> I do but, remember that all through the award season, like campaigning as you do, you you and Alex were just like really put at the forefront that you would keep climbing and being outside that you didn't, that uh, you were just aware, like you kept yourself like dunking in the cold pool basically, but you're like, nope, we're not gonna get too comfortable with the hors d'oeuvres and wine thing. Like we're, we're staying true to who we are. Yes. And it was really, really refreshing because that space is so, um, it's just a really intoxicating, bizarre, and potentially all-consuming world. And I just respected that the two of you were so diligent about staying true to yourself through it. Because going climbing is always humbling. No matter how good you are, there's always something harder to climb and to kick your ass. And uh, it just helps keep things real. Life-affirming to hear you talk about these things because um, I do it I do it to you and I do it to other people where, you know, you accomplish things that I admire so much that I put you on, I'll put you on a pedestal and be like, oh, I'm not, I can't do that. Or I can't mentally get to that place or be like that person. And it's so humbling to be like, actually the toughest, toughest thing is like the stuff that we have the most in common with. It's not, the toughest thing is not like I climbed Everest. It's like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I have a child that I'm responsible for. And just for the record, yeah, Brie it kicked so much ass on this climb. Like I was so impressed afterwards, and so much. In some ways, it was really satisfying because I was like, I knew it. Like, and and I kind of pride myself in like being like eh, taking people to the edge and seeing how far they'll push, and you know, which is really their decision in the end, but. You know, I, I hope to provide an opportunity to see, and I'm kind of curious. I was just so impressed, and it was so fun. Um, we'll have to do it again. I can't and, wait. Uh, I can't wait to do yeah. it. And I will honestly, like, never forget the, not only just, like, how beat up and bruised I was before we had even done the climb. My legs were covered in purple bruises. I was supposed to wear a mini dress in like four days after. <laughs> and then the like most grueling for our hike, I didn't even know a hike could be that. I was in a completely different, I was used to like a you know, Los Angeles hike. This was full body uh, just to get to camp and the two hours to get to the base of the mountain. And then whatever the 10 hours of climbing and I got to the top and it was like, my pants were all ripped. I was somewhere between freezing and sweating and just like a total mess. It completely changed my perception of myself, what I'm capable of. And 
it is an actual location in my brain of that gratitude. And I have the picture to prove it of that five inch ledge. Yeah. Know what I'm capable of. Yeah. (laughs) Jimmy, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it so much. Hope the conversation today wasn't too much of a sandbag. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Gosh, I feel so lucky and grateful to have witnessed these and partaken in both of these conversations today. Taken part. <laughs> partaken? Partaken? Part- not partaken. Um, to have partake? To have taken part. To have taken part, of course. Yeah, I, I didn't want to, um, you know, infuse that conversation too much with my own trauma, but so much of what he was saying was really speaking to me. And I feel really emotional and inspired by it. Really? Yeah, I think a lot of the idea about um, how fear is vital in the act of being brave Mm. and how courage doesn't exist without pushing through something that you're scared of, I think really resonates with me. And, and, And once again, I really love this concept of like, you know, passion is doing the one thing that you can't not do. Mm hmm. And I feel that way. And I feel, I feel like I should be taking more risks. Wow. I love to hear that. Yeah. I was surprised by his answers, I guess, because I know so much about his expeditions. It was just really interesting and somehow still surprised me that it was like, oh, choosing to be myself and choosing to be a parent are by far the scariest things, the most uncomfortable I've ever been. How humanizing and uniting. Didn't Rupi say a very similar thing about Mm -hmm. um, publishing? It's not about writing it or letting people, it it was more about the act of putting it out into the world that was the scariest part for her, which is not at all what I expected her to say. Yeah, it's really interesting. And it just gets into something that I feel we've talked about quite a bit offline about like public perception being a public person like we really circle around the moment of achievement it's like they he climbed the thing and she sold eight million copies and won the award or whatever it was and it's not to say that those are not worth celebrating but we just don't give as much and talk as much about like the personal battles, I think for all of us end up mattering a lot more Mm -hmm. than the public ones. It's like the public ones are almost just for the public. (laughs) And then the things that are the greatest achievements are the ones that like were not on film. They were not, there might not have even been another person to witness it. Right. God, I find that so comforting. (laughs) I think um, a major theme this week was about what aspects of your life that you would label discomfort is in fact comforting. Mm. What can you gain from being uncomfortable? What's worth pushing through discomfort for you? Mm-mm. What What's your calling that's that's forcing you to come out of your cocoon? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and conversely, great. when is it imp- important for you to prioritize your comfort? Perfect. Very, very well put. I think that's exactly it. <sighs> and something that I will be thinking about for the rest of my life okay yeah <laughs> these are things I struggle with um well to wrap it up we would love to hear from all of you in the comments section of this video or uh on our instagram learning lots podcast you can uh, comment topic submissions or also if you have music poems spoken word art pieces 
personalized dance. shoes. Oh, I love the idea of a personalized shoe. Clothing designs. I mean, whatever it is that if you're listening to this and, and you're inspired to create something or it reminds you of something you've created that we could share with a story, uh, a story. Oh yeah. Story would be great. Yeah. We want to keep this conversation a conversation. Yeah. Well, we're learning lots, including how to make a podcast. Yep. Um, so for our listeners who I assume have listened to more podcasts than this one episode, I would love your feedback. And I plan on reading all the reviews. So if you have the time and you have any ideas you want to share with us, please leave us a comment in the comment, comment section. section. <laughs> in the review box. Yeah. Put a review in the box. Yeah. And uh, perhaps we'll read it on air. Oh, we can do that. We can do that. Oh, cool. We can do whatever we want. This is our pod, honey. Well, thank you for joining us. And I uh, hope you tune in to our next episode where we have uh, two incredible guests. Yeah, we have author Glennon Doyle and Spiros Mihalakis, who is a quantum physicist. Low and uh, we're going to talk about truth. Mm-hmm. Well, this was uh, episode one of, of Learning, Learning Lots. Lots. Yes, we said it at the same time. <laughs> See you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Learning Lots with Bree and Jesse.